0: And welcome to episode 95 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage on the Norfolk coast, looking a lot like Dennis the Menace, though our transatlantic viewers may or may not know who he is, Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Hello.
1: Hello, and over in Cambridgeshire, In the east of England, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen glowing so beautifully as she always does. I may possibly be wearing a Christmas jumper, it's occurred to me.
0: I picked it for the cute dog, but I think (laughs) it might be wearing a Christmas hat. So never mind, not very seasonal. We are delighted to welcome not one, but two guests to the podcast this week. And very rarely for us, we are going overseas. We've got some crazy time differences going on because one of our guests is in Colorado. The other, I think, in British Columbia, Kenton J. Seth in um, Colorado, Paul Dirty. Spriggs in British Columbia. Welcome to Talking Dirty. Thanks. Thank Susan. you. <laughs>
2: Great to be here.
0: So Kenton, first of all, I'm assuming the Kenton J. Seth, hints at a middle name in there,
2: it's James. <laughs> the good joke would have been to say, oh, it's just J, Jay. J-A-Y, which is which is an old Simpsons <laughs> joke. But uh, <laughs> it's James named after uh, an uncle, I think he was. I never met him, but
0: Aww. yeah.
2: I didn't know that it means much, but
0: yeah. uh, Paul, do you have <laughs> any middle names to share?
3: I certainly do. My middle name is Alan. Ooh. Alan, A. L. L. E. N. so I am Paul A. Spriggs.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's like a sprig joke in there to do with plants, but anyway, we well... <laughs> Oh,
3: that's... you wouldn't be the first one. Yeah, my my daughter's name is Holly Spriggs, so... <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is fantastic. What time is it with you guys? Because you're drinking a lot of coffee at the minute.
3: It's nine for me. Uh, nine for Canton, eight a.m. for me. Um... But with these uh, overseas podcasts, it's not the earliest one I've done, so uh, <laughs> or we've done. So um, I think we're going to be okay on this one. I'm, I'm well awake. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's daylight here at the moment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we're just hanging right. on to it. At least it's not winter. We'd be plunged yeah. into darkness imminently if, if it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason you no. guys are joining us together is because between you, you managed to turn out this really interesting book, which Alan is brandishing on the video podcast, The Crevice Garden. Subtitle, Make the Perfect Home for Plants from Rocky Places, just in case people didn't get that from the crevice garden. And this book, which I haven't had a chance to read from cover to cover, but it is so interesting talking about like the whole science of crevices and why they work and the really interesting plants you can grow there and like 250 amazing plants that you could try growing in your own crevice garden at home. You've both got this long history, I think, this long love affair with crevice gardens and rock gardening. Um, Paul, do you want to start with a sort of overview of your passion for this?
3: Absolutely. Um, so I've been gardening for my whole life. My mother and my grandmother were both gardeners and I started gardening for a living uh, when I was 19 years old. And um, during that time, I had always been going to the mountains uh, to go backpacking. Right. We do a lot of that around here. And I. Um, Around 1995 or so, um, my, my passions for the mountains and my passions for gardening melded when I saw my first rock garden uh, in, in a garden here in Victoria, British Columbia. And that's how it all started for me. I was able to be transported to the mountains uh, just by looking at these vignettes in people's gardens that were just basically replicas of that. And since the mountains are really one of my favorite places to be, um, it just seemed like a natural fit for me as a passionate gardener.
0: And what about you then, Kenton?
3: Um, I think even as
2: a little one, I've always been sort of the combo artist gardener, but gardener being like a nurturer of things. And when I was a kid, I had a ton of pets, you know, and I liked to keep, you know, exotic animals or whatnot. And the the passion got too big to be inside and moved to plants. It could be outdoors and ripped up my parents' entire yard. And um but like the collectorship of plants became a big thing. Like I liked the variety. There was a bunch of fun. It was real nerdy and I was a nerd. <laughs> Still a nerd, but um, that collectorship drew me to rock gardening for sure. And then, um, you know, I was kind of vaguely aware of crevice gardens and they were fine. Um, but then I saw Paul's when I was on a big long road trip. I was driving around, went up to the Pacific Northwest to see some good horticulture up there and I saw his crevice garden. It was like, whoa, they can be art, you know, like they can look like nature. They can, And so that's, you know, when the horticulture and art collided into an explosion and I've been a slave to it since then. So here we are.
0: It's funny you say it's like art because this is what I think, Alan, I mean, I don't think you call them crevice gardens, but the many troughs that you planted up with lots of twofer, you know, planting into the little nooks and crannies. Oh, yeah. They yeah. are yeah. art installations. I love them when the plants are having their moment and they're singing and dancing, and creeping and getting into all those nooks and crannies. I just I'm enthralled
1: by them. Well, they're, they are—they're little vignettes of a, of a of a rocky place somewhere. Um, I do I do them in troughs, but I mean I have a yen to make a fairly big trough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I went to, I went to a friend's garden earlier this year, and she's getting on a bit now. And she said, "Oh, this this raised bed was really for bulbs, but little alpines and things have crept in." And I'm lucky enough to have got two for rock. I don't know whether you're familiar with that, but nice. yeah. So, I've got some tufa rock, and I I just fancy making that, expanding my knowledge on um, alpine plants. Because, I mean, I bought a plant last week. I don't know whether it is or not, but I think it's an arenaria. It's very mossy. It's quite hard, and it has tiny, tiny little pink stars on it. And it blooms almost all our summer. Pink?
2: Hmm. Okay. Wow. That would be unusual. Yeah. Yeah, that would be unusualistic. (laughs)
1: <laughs> maybe it's not an area, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, maybe it's know. super
2: rare, don't kill it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no pressure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think um, there's something completely magical about alpine plants. Maybe it is that they conjure up some of that mountainous uh, quality that I lack. Coming from East Anglia in England, we have very little contour at all. And I now live in like the flattest part of East Anglia in the Fens, which is very bleak, and you know we're seriously lacking in anything that's up before down or really whatever. But they are wonderful, wonderful plants, but they aren't always the easiest to grow. And I think this is where the the crevice gardening comes in, creating these perfect sort of scenarios which I, I wasn't didn't have enough time to sit down and really sink my brain into all of the science. And it's amazing, all the diagrams and things in your book to describe the drainage and like the perfect situations that the, the rocks and the crevices create. So I don't know which of you wants to explain a bit of that, but please explain mm. away.
2: <laughs> Man, well, I think I made the mistake like anybody does when I got into rock garden plants, and these miniature things and planted them in the open garden and they just died. You know, I think a lot of us
3: do that, right? Yeah, that, everyone and, does uh, that in their first year. <laughs> yeah,
2: for sure. And usually it takes meeting a rock gardener and seeing what they're doing and then seeing the plant alive in a rock garden to understand like, oh, it's not compost rich. Oh, it's raised a little bit. Oh, it's rocks and gravel. It's not, you know, organic mulch. Like, it's a different world.
1: One thing that I find very important in a good rock garden in England, and that is the person that makes it with, with whatever rock they use, they use the striations in the rock all the same way so that you have this uniform. So it looks natural. I mean, don't have horizontal next to a vertical because it looks stupid. That's <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That,
3: yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a lot of rock in nature, uh, especially if it's a sedimentary rock has a, has a grain, right? And, yeah. and so you always have to find that grain and work with it to create something that looks like something that would have been just naturally occurring out, out in the mountains kind of thing, right?
1: Well, if you think of, it, think of that grain has had snow melt going over it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that's mm-hmm. what makes the grain. And so, exactly erosion. And the yeah. water goes down that, that grain
3: mm-hmm. way into the
1: rock, and the plants mm-hmm. go down to find it.
3: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So in a crevice garden, we just improve on that essentially. Um, You know, we we widen the crevices just a little bit to maybe like uh, an inch or so, a couple, two and a half centimeters. uh, And that gives a bit more of a root run, but it still still qualifies as a crevice, which gives the plants the conditions they need, especially with the gravelly soil, sandy soil that's in between the crevice. It allows for the water to just go straight down through, drain away, yet still hold the, hold the nutrients and the water that it needs in there. We don't want these things to dry right up, right? Um, but in the crevice garden, it creates a really great situation for exactly what the plants would want in their natural habitats.
2: I think the name of the game is the dry tops and wet bottoms. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we haven't said that before because it sounds so bad. Yes, well, this is the Talking Dirty
1: podcast. Oh, right. I'm allowed that. All right. (laughs) We do the similar thing at East Rustin because we have a desert wash, which is named after uh, areas in in the United States where you have sudden rainstorm and then, you know, nothing for a year or something. Mm. We Mm -hmm. uh, We made a desert wash by starting five feet below the surface of the soil, breaking up the subsoil, mixing in gravel, then gravel gravelly soil, gravel, gravelly soil, until you're above the natural level of your yeah. of your landscape. And it's it's dry in the winter then. That's the that's mm, That's what we try and do. When your crevice can I ask something about crevice gardening, because crevice gardening, a lot of your crevice gardening must be covered in snow in winter.
2: Depends on the climate, not mine. but it can be, yeah, not here's uh, we, snow is, oh, it happens, it's unreliable for us.
1: He's the Pacific you know? Northwest, is he?
3: Yes, I'm at sea level, I'm at sea level, though. I, uh, we get, we're, we're a lot like England, we get rain in the winter. Uh, we do get a periodic snowfalls maybe I once or twice a year. I can tell that because
1: of your hair, you
3: know. <laughs> yeah. <Is he>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we also don't have barbers here, so. <laughs> <laughs> Not
2: allowed. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly <laughs> you say yes uh, like, you are because i think it looks great <laughs> oh thank you same, the same right back to you uh, <laughs> uh, alpines are of course used to being covered in snow in the winter time and uh Dumb. when they're not all i got all yeah. i gotta
2: step in there. not all and that's important too yeah, like because some climates we have summer sun here like for us the the like maybe the simplification would be that on the north side of the crevice garden snow builds up and it stays there over the winter but on the south side it cooks off it doesn't even melt it sublimates so it our snow just evaporates straight into the air very often Mm. which is a real bummer like for keeping plants alive but but it it really that can lend a lot of uh, you know purpose to the crevice garden horticulturally in that the north side has this nice blanket over it keeping things protected from the cold and the wind and whatnot, and, but the south side can bake and be exposed. So yeah, it's- Different for plants. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some nuance to that, for sure. We have found there are plants who hate the summer sun and you know we plant them on the north side and we found plants who actually do fine with it, like Selenia collis. A lot of the areogonums actually prefer to be dry and have some you know, air movement and not be buried by snow. A bit of nuance you
3: know i'm not sure anybody really actually knows that whole world (laughs) but of course i mean in the uk that has a rich history of rock gardening where it rains all winter long Uh, like uh, a lot of the when the plants in the mountains are under snow they are typically dry or dryish and then and they're not actually that cold right i mean it can be minus 20 out there in the air but when they're covered in snow it may only be like zero or one degree so um, in the UK, of course, you have, you've invented the Alpine house and, and essentially that piece of glass above your plants is your snow in some way um, it's what keeps the plants the dr- to the dry conditions that they need to get through the winter without rotting and that's the problem we have here in in, in uh, pacific northwest because sure we get snow and if you go high up in the mountains yes but at sea level uh it just rains all winter long so we got to figure out ways to um to mediate that uh, and um one of the ways is the crevice garden uh, because of its drainage conditions and uh, the position the plants are in so it helps with that
1: that's sharp drainage in Winter is fabulous because it, it, it keeps the moisture away from too much moisture away from the root. In summer, do do you not think that it, it has an another advantage in the fact that hot and cold, hot days, cool nights, hot days, cool nights, condensation. Absolutely. Which is irrigating your yeah. plant. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. A,
2: a lot of people have conjectured that um, you get condensation on the rock. And I think that's true with some kinds of rock. And that there might be condensation on the plant and it might be more often more, able to happen if the plant cools off at night you know to actually condense on its leaves but yeah there's there's been conjecture i don't know if anyone's actually studied it properly though and if nothing else the water that does what little bit of water happened before summer is driven deeper displaced by the rocks so it's further away from evaporation and sun and things and that's how we're looking at it in the desert west
1: kenton i don't want anybody to go too deep into condensation because (laughs) i mean i just know from experience if i turn over we use Flintstones, <laughs> which are endemic to Norfolk um, in our desert. And I just know that if I go up there uh, and, and after a hot day and, and uh, the following morning, if I lift a stone, it's moist underneath. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we can be. take advantage of that. Yeah.
3: But also, yeah. of course, during hot, dry summers, you've got to remember that these these a lot of these uh, plants are extremely deeply rooted. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. And so this is one of the ways that we can get around um, watering in the summertime, depending on the situation and the, t- the choice of plants. Uh, just because the, sometimes those tap roots will go down much further than you think, and the and the you know the plant may only be a, an inch tall on the surface, but the tap roots has gone down like three feet or something. So um, down there, it doesn't dry up period, you know, in, you know, if it's that far down. And so that's one of the ways that, you know, drought tolerant plants do their thing is they just have their, their roots so deep, right? So well, there's
1: not much in this philosophy because we just had in England our hottest summer ever and mm. a, long, a long period of drought. Um, and so probably this is the kind of way that we're going to have to start thinking of gardening in, f- in future years um, because we won't have the moisture to, to water things with.
2: That's right. Humbling yeah. and crazy to think that, you know, I felt like we were behind in Colorado and that, like we could see the writing on the wall that it's going to dry out and it's getting hotter here and our yeah. mountains would get less and less snow, which is our source yeah. of water here. But, but, if you know, had friends visiting from London the other day and they humbled us saying like, oh no, London doesn't have a big watershed. Like it's, it's very much at the mercy of climate change and nature. And it's like, oh man, I never thought about that. You know, I think of England as being drippy all the time <laughs> and you'd never run out of water. Like... <laughs> That's humbling. Wow, we're all in a. Who who thought we'd be in the same boat? I'm in the desert southwest, and you guys in the UK, and we'll be comparing notes on water conserving gardening. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I think a lot of people listening to this will be um, excited to to try this, and most of us haven't created a desert wash like Alan at East Ruston, so. The great news is, and your book points this out, you can go big and you can go really small if you want to create a crevice garden. I mean, obviously, Alan has his troughs and that's something that people could try at home if they wanted to start dabbling with this. Um, so you go into in your book, but kind of in terms of basic pointers, what would be the kind of best way of starting out? Which is an oversimplified question because I think you have a million oh. different ways in the book.
3: I <laughs> love well, it's, <laughs> it's It's a simple question, but it's a simple answer to building crevice gardens is is really not difficult. I I personally think it's easier to build a beautiful crevice garden than a traditional rock garden. Um, Because if you've got those rocks that all line up that way, depending on certain circumstances they often tend to kind of fall into place right so um so to do it in a trough the the pointers would basically be fill that darn thing up with soil I I personally don't like a flat trough I like to have at least one third of the trough's height raised above the edge of the trough so it's like you're creating a little mini mountain right Uh, that of course also adds to your soil depth and to your drainage Um, so I start with a, a mountain of soil as high as I can get it it's spilling over the edges Um, and then I start putting the rocks in and if it's a trough you don't need that many rocks depending on how big the trough is Uh, you put the rocks in in the way and uh, obviously there's some details that can be found in the book Um, (laughs) and then um, you know the plants are happy just sitting in there and if you're using tufa Alan of course they're going to be even happier (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but yeah get the drainage get the soil depth um and also as from an aesthetic and artistic thing personally i like to raise them up that's that's a big one for me uh, because you think about a flat trough you're just not going to have that same drainage um that you would get from a raised uh, feature i think i'd advise a new crevice
2: gardener starting with their first trough to um, not take it too seriously in the beginning just think of it as a sandbox play around you know, yeah. <laughs> rearrange the rock, set some in, then pull it out. You know, just do that a few times to, you know, get some practice because it's, until it's set, it's not set in stone, you know, like especially when it's small, you know, <laughs> they're not giant rocks. So
3: A small trough may only take five rocks, right? Five yeah. five yeah, totally. of foundation
2: rocks. Yeah, and the largest rock might be the size of, you know, half a dinner
3: plate is all. Exactly. So it's Very so easy small. to pull them out, put them back, pull them out, put them back everyone's going to do it differently because it's art yeah Yeah. every every artist will do it differently
0: yeah talking of different scales I think you guys are going to give us an insight into some slightly bigger crevice gardens because um you have your own so show and tell today is is kind of a little bit of a tour a little bit of a look at what you created at home fingers crossed if uh if mobile signal if routers and stuff allow who would like to go first for a oh oh, he's (laughs) up pulls up you've got no choice kenton i'm on the
3: move okay (laughs) so uh, here i go okay so we tested this before so we know the wi-fi is going to connect um so i'm going to show you an example of of a dry crevice garden and um as i mentioned before uh these crevice gardens are um uh, can can be really great for dry climates as long as you build them right with nice deep soil and choose plants with nice deep tap roots. Uh, so here we go. This is my this is my dry crevice garden. I'm going to try to get back a bit here if you can see it. This is uh, these feature plants from dry areas. Can you see me? Okay, I can. Um, okay, uh, so the main those buns down there. If you like tight buns, you got some tight <laughs> buns here. This is uh, a Cantolimon trojanum. Um, uh, named after the Trojans, uh, it's from Turkey and it is an absolutely excellent plant if you don't want to water at all. Uh, it produces beautiful pink flowers right on the bun and then when it's finished it creates these beautiful ornamental bracts as well. And along to companion planting with that we have uh, Achillea folia there with the uh, with the uh, silver leaves and this then over special here silver form that's great uh, yes Dianthus uh, Various dianthus that have um, that have a cross here in the garden. Uh, got some cheddar pinks and some other more special ones like dianthus microlepis and whatnot. Now and that's then, right on see the see sidewalk there.
2: on the street too, I want to point out. That's what folks walking by his house get to see. <laughs> Isn't that
3: fun? Here's one of Kenton's favorites. This Ooh. is xiao Schnaria. Mm. Ah, it's it's nice, low form. Again, this is a California plant. It's called the California fuchsia. And a uh, great hummingbird attractor. Requires absolutely no water uh, once it's established in the in the rocker, and just a gorgeous Mediterranean, thing.
2: Mediterranean, you know.
3: Yeah, Mediterranean. That, that
2: kind of climate. Where the UK is moving.
3: Yeah, I've got uh, Hormathophila, Hormathophila, which is a new name for Pleotrichium It's a little uh, cr- uh, crucifer uh, right there. It's got white flowers. I, the, the, that's Hormathophila spinosum. And then two more, Globularia cordifolia, uh, European from from the European Alps, beautiful blue pom-pom. Keep in mind, this is uh, not peak season for the rock garden, so um, nothing's really in bloom. And then last but not least, uh, this conifer here, this is is one of the upright pencil junipers. And I'm a big believer that all rock gardens, uh, at least in my part of the world, should have dwarf conifers because the Pacific Northwest is pretty much conifer central. And this is where the world's... The biggest converse in the world come from, but we look for the little, little tiny ones. So there's a quick little tour of a of a dry garden that did not touch it with water once this summer, and it still looks great.
0: It does. Great.
3: You said (laughs) it's not
0: peak season, but it, it looked really fabulous, and the the green hummocks. They remind Mm. me of them, if you've seen Frozen, I know that we're going off on a bit of a weird tangent here, but Frozen (laughs) the movie, they're like when the trolls turn into mossy rocks.
3: (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Well, they look like little rocks in themselves. Well, that's (laughs) one of the beautiful is there's 12 month interest in a plant like that. Um, Even when it's not flowering, for the evergreen ones, even in the depths of winter, they can look beautiful when they're encrusted with frost and just gorgeous mm-hmm. things. I, I really I think that points
2: out that the rock garden plants and people tend to be more interested in form and texture or just as interested in those things as color, you know, and, and, and flowers. You
3: know, yeah, color is just a fringe fringe, fringe benefit. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. It's just just it's just a bonus. It's creme. It's, it's great. Yeah. Well, should um, I wander I mean, outside? Yeah, that and and going? I'm
0: just such a hu- uh, sucker as well for a hummocky, cushiony plant. There's. Just-
2: <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? We're, this this is the church of the cushion plant. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine. A friend of mine made uh, a very niche bumper sticker that says, "Crevice gardeners have the tightest buns." I've- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Get weird looks at yes. the intersections yes. that way. I mean, so, so my my front garden is also unwatered, um, which is a bit different for us, uh, and a lot of it's kind of desert meadow, if you will. And I'm kind of fascinated with the interplay of meadow and rock garden because that's always been sort of a taboo idea, because they do kind of fight each other. I mean, you see like mirabilis sewing into the cracks, and I ask myself like, what's going to happen? Is this going to dry out and kill them, or are they going to like it and eat the garden? So like. I'm enjoying that sort of tension right now. There's sort of a battle between the rock garden and the, and the meadow, but um, of uh, crevice garden plants. Oh, geez. There's everything. I like the agaves. They're, they're big, but a lot of agaves grow in crevices in nature and they're so lovely poking through the snow here. And I have a collection of Echinocereus. And don't even ask me what some of the Echinocereus are because they're really promiscuous <laughs> and they, they hybridize and they've got little ones popping up and, and, and then when they bloom, you're like, wow. Who, who is your dad? You know? <laughs> um, they usually bloom when I'm gone. That's what they do. They wait till I'm traveling. This is a fish hook cactus, which infamously, even in our climate, is hard to grow in a garden. It's really slow growing from seed. It's even mycorrhizal, so it needs a fungus to, um, to live. Um, but a crevice garden actually dries it out enough that so it's happy here. Um, I don't know what I have. Oh, I have an Areogonum in bloom right now. Uh, this, uh, what is it, Iriognum. the name's running away from me, here manii and what I like about it is the architecture of these weird flower stalks, like that, um, that Paul grows, it creates, this, these stems actually become a hard cage around it to keep it from getting grazed, so the leaves end up growing on the inside of the dried flower cage, if you will. It makes its own defensive cage. I love that. That's cool, right? <laughs> um, I love areadums, but, you know, and grasses, are they appropriate in the crevice garden? You know, our forefathers would say no, but I really love to see them blow on the breeze and their contrast with the rocks. And like I yeah, said, I'm can enjoying you talk us attention.
0: Through, um, some of the things that you wouldn't strictly, you know, put in your crevice garden book, but which are really softening and kind of playing with the crevice garden plants. There's some really interesting oh, stuff going on.
2: I think it really has to do with scale, like of your garden. Like, bigger the rocks, the bigger the plants you can use, right? That's I think we might have even written that in book. But
3: um, <laughs> yeah. I love
2: grasses because they're some of the most translucent, and and like the plants have a lot of leaves. You know, they're very similar. They're very harmonious. They're very they're like the opposite of a rock to me. Uh, a grass hummock <laughs> is. So I would start with grasses, like for that extreme opposite. I love, yeah, I love that that tension that opposites, I think.
0: Which one have but, you got oh, okay. growing there that you were just looking at?
2: Let's see. Um, there's a lot of, um, this is rice grass, um, Acnatherum hymenoides, and actually the, the natives um, would eat the grains, there's these little, you're looking at them. Um, yeah, this is, this is a grain for native North Americans. Um, but it's so Acnatherum, so it's in the, uh, the needle grass group, you know, like your stippas and whatnot. Um, I found it's a lot easier to grow from seed because it's really hard to grow in a pot, um, but I love it. I mean, it holds these really cool seed stems and also it it doesn't compete with my cushions, which include cactus, like it plays well with others. So that one's working for me, you know? You, you need a friendly, especially in plant communities, you got to have things that get along that don't eat each other But um, Yeah, so that was one of my favorites. Now look at it blowing on the breeze, isn't that sexy? Mm.
0: Yes. Mm. Mm. Really I'm still
2: is. on the lookout though for miniature grasses. there's not a lot of tiny grasses out there, and to find ones that are appropriate for a crevice garden, that's that's some work that needs to be done. We got to find yeah. uh, miniature
3: grasses. I think. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kenton, have you heard of uh, Festuca ovina? That is a um, great little miniature so grass. Oh, much for that one. Yeah, actually. I oh, you do? Okay. Our, our <laughs> oh you do. Okay.
2: Our backyard crevice garden's full of it. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. Great. It's good old Excellent. sheep rescue. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you yeah. go. There's a dwarf grass for you. Yeah. Do you
0: guys have a lot of specialists to like specialist nurseries to buy stuff from on your side of the pond?
3: No. No. And yeah. less and less, sadly. Less they're and less. Retiring. Yeah. yeah. We have Reitman's Alpines uh, is probably the best known one in North America at the moment. Um, and they're one of the last holdouts. Uh, you know, in our time, we've seen many nurseries come and go. Um, I'm not sure down in the States, uh, what's, what's going on down same, there. Same story. I mean, we
2: all from Reitman in Canada too, Arrowhead, um Arrowhead. Vice Perennials in Oregon. Um, oh, I'm surely forgetting. It seems like there's two kind of major trends happening as the specialty rock garden places just, you know, disappear. Is that folks now have to shop from 10, 20 different nurseries like specialty nurseries who happen to have some rock garden plants. Like, Plant Delights and Far Reaches Farms, whom Paul and I have visited quite a bit and worked with them. But like, yeah, so there's more of that having to diversify where you buy plants. And hopefully we'll see more folks growing more of their own plants as a response. Because Paul and I, in research for the book, traveled around, tried to meet, talk to as many rock gardeners as possible. And we noticed in places where there's no nurseries, home gardeners just had to grow their own plants. And sometimes they do a really, really amazing job. Sometimes they're Better than nurseries, I say it. <laughs> you know,
3: home talent is incredible. I think it's very important. Uh, uh, too many gardeners don't grow their own things. And uh, right now, especially with the internet, the availability of, of wild collected seed uh, is has never been as good as it is now. Um, and so you don't have any excuse. And once you get into propagation, uh, you might find that it's highly addictive and uh, it's all you want to do. And like, I'm at the point where I don't even care if, if someone's going to give me a, a potted plant versus a cutting, I'd rather take the cutting so I could say I grew it myself. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> nice. It's just that much more satisfying somehow. Right. Um, You know, you learn that time, even though these plants grow quite slowly, two three years is is just plenty of time for something to turn into something quite beautiful and um and like i say it gets very addictive uh you i find that every weekend if i'm not out climbing mountains that's all i want to be doing is taking cutting sowing seeds and splitting up plants
0: well just imagine <laughs> we don't have the mountains to take up our time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <exactly. laughs> cute. alan
0: has no mountains at the coast so you know oh, just pure propagation central
1: <laughs> i have lots of lots of sand
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> (laughs) that's that's good that's rock garden plants grow in sand
1: there's no question about that hey for here
0: just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person if you really liked it please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant loving mayhem next week and as you're our new favorite person we don't want you to miss out If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.